This is Geek Gab with your host, John and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for uh, Saturday, August 18th, 2018. We have got uh, a special guest today, uh, author H.M. Clay here to discuss his book. But before we get to that, uh, so, Dornal, how was your week? Hey, man. It's been a good week. Uh, mostly life stuff. New uh, new boss at my day job. Just let you guys know, uh, being the co-host of the Geek Gab is not a full-time paying position. I still have a day job. And I hear the critics. Yeah, I know, John. Keep it. Keep it. It's all right. So I'm not going full-time podcaster yet. Just yet. Do, do you want to – I mean, is it okay to talk about a little bit about your boss? Yeah, why not? Because I think it's hilarious, and I'm, I'm not being mean. I'm not making fun of him. This is not a you know an attack on him. I just I love the thought of this man being my boss. If I had a boss, I, I think I would want it to be your boss. So uh, it's funny. I, I I interviewed him to be my boss in in a in a very fun uh, sequence of events. But he's this big Bulgarian guy, and he's. Uh, so he's got the thick accent. He's he's actually fairly he's not tall. He's he's a little shorter than I am, but he's sort of big, thick, meaty, and he's got the shaved head and the gold chain, and he speaks with thick Bulgarian accent. Uh, he's a he's a great guy. Uh, I think he's he's going to be a, a good manager, but uh, he's I swear if you put him in a tracksuit, you would think he was part of the mafia. This this guy's awesome. You just have to hear the accent. I, we were talking about this before the show. That's how I knew uh, his description of his boss. The Bulgarian accent is like the absolutely purest archetypal Cold War accent, even more than a Russian accent. Uh, it's just great. So colorful. Um, interesting to listen to. Uh it's truly a thing of beauty. <laughs> I mean, it, sometimes it makes discussing technical problems um, a little more complicated than it needs to be, but it's it's delightful. Um, so we've got the Bulgarian boss, and you're um, looking through, is it Holmes or Moldvay you were looking through? Moldvay. Uh, I, got, I got the uh, basic set PDFs. Uh, from a very reputable source, I assure you, and uh, and I haven't uh, I haven't made any ex what's the word um, explicit plans yet, but that's where I'm leaning towards as far as gaming goes. Plus the usual Gloomhaven nonsense every week. Um, I'm trying to think if there was something else. I I am I am so like short of sleep today that my memory is just shot to pieces. So if during the conversation um, we have, I have sudden memory lapses, you'll know it is not because I'm not paying attention, but because my memory is, uh, is just not what it should be at this point um, because of sleep deprivation. Uh, so I'm trying to think of, I mean, I've done the usual stuff this week. If I'm going to give a report, give a report about my week. I have done the usual stuff this week. I read a lot of research material. I took dozens of notes, maybe over 100 notes on various aspects of the secret project. And um, I did my daily blog post and I went and saw a movie yesterday, even though we don't have to talk about it on the show, which is just fine because the movie I saw yesterday and last week and maybe the week before that, I've been fortunate that when it's time to discuss movies on the show, let this week and last week that I haven't had to discuss um, the movies I saw because they were really like boring and not at all really good. There wasn't any meat to them to discuss I was kind of panicking. I will not lie. 
I was kind of panicking before the show because we were having some technical problems, surprisingly enough, and uh, we couldn't get our guest, who will be on in mere moments, we couldn't get our guest attached to the uh, chat to have him on the show. And so I'm looking kind of out of the side of my eye over at my backpack, wherein is my notebook with notes on the last few movies I've seen, because even if I wasn't going to do them for the show, I'd take notes anyway, just to have them if I, in case we need them. And I'm thinking I'm going to have to have some kind of emergency fill-in topic. I'm imagining having to change the subject of this show on YouTube and, you know, having to do a whole show without a guest. And so that means I'm going to have to talk about these movies. And uh, I'm just thinking, man, I really hope that doesn't happen. So we're fortunate that I was not forced to, because I have like three lines, literally like three lines of notes for yesterday's movie. It was that unmemorable, and it was a waste. It was a waste. And I'll tell you why it was a waste. They hired the two guys from The Raid. Okay. That's we're awesome. Yeah, the main bad dude and the cop. The two guys from the raid are in this movie, and the movie is terrible. Complete waste of their talents. Ugh. The cop has actually a cool action scene, just the one, and it's like this cool martial arts scene. He starts off chained to a hospital bed, and during the course of the fight, he slowly disassembles this thing that he's chained to while being attacked by a couple of assassins. And that's good. The rest of the movie sucked. I thought, man, this is their big U.S. debut, and this is the kind of crap you throw at me? So really, if we had to do a movie review, it would be two hours of me complaining that this movie just wasn't as good as The Raid. But we don't. Fortunately, we don't because we have our special guest here. We might as well let him say hi. Uh, Mr. Clay, how are you? Hi-ho. H.M. Clay here. Now, do you want to use your author name or your real name on the show? Well, this, this, just call me a Clay. Um, H.M. Clay. Just, it's because it's easier for uh, our listeners to remember and to find me. HMClay.com is my website, so. Now, I have, by calling you an author, implied that you have written a book. Is this, in fact, the case? Yes, I have. That's what it takes to be an author, to write a book. And I did it. Oh, uh, I'm impressed. Right, because everyone's always saying, like, that's what, because I work at a library, and all my coworkers is like, I've long wanted to write a book, but I never got around to it. Well, guess what? I did it, so. And it's available on Amazon. Yes, it is. And a link to the Amazon book is in the description of the video below. So your book is called Garden of Chaos. And I'm making a bet with myself about where that title came from. And so I want to see if how much money I owe myself. Okay, let me give you a hint. Sega Genesis. Are you thinking about that? Like Chaos Emeralds? Cause, no, cause, no, no. Because <laughs> I thought it was Garden of Chows at first. Right. Actually, it looks like Chad's, which uh, that kind of adds like a, I guess, a hierarchical social. Was that a deliberate choice for the no. font? Do you like, can, can, you get, can you make the O look like a D? Is that what you it's some some jerk on 4chan, believe it or not. There was a jerk on 4chan <laughs> who saw my who saw my book art and said, Garden of Chads. <laughs> I might like this. Nothing about beta or gamma males. And I actually know my protagonist is a beta or gamma or something, delta, somewhere along the line of that. But um anyway, get off the topic. Uh the the actually I really wanted to call it Garden of Rage, uh, after Streets of Rage, because I, I thought it would be really cool to have lots of uh brawling as you know like beat em up themes but then it, it kind of took on a uh, more of a political uh commentary in it uh so it, it went in a different direction than i originally anticipated it to go to so i mean there are fight scenes 
and uh, there's lots of dialogue and uh, lots of humor involved. So it's not all deeper messages, but I think in order to propel me to the keyboard, it took a, a, some, a, a deeper message that I wanted to get out and for people to hear. Now, now that's really interesting. Uh, you say that you have a deeper message, but what really uh, set a flag up in my mind is that did, it was this really inspired by Streets of Rage because that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I wanted it to be. Um, and actually, I was thinking about uh, Green Belts of Rage at first because, like, uh, you know, green spaces, they call it parks. Uh, maybe in the future, if no one's using cars and everyone wants to control their, their green ways. And their parks with uh, with mob violence and thuggery, and so that that was kind of what I thought of at first. But no, that's not what it turned out to be. It turned out taking place on a college campus, which I I think of is kind of maybe a walled off garden of utopia. It's like an idealistic setting where um, kind of the height of civilization and knowledge. But what happens if that if that collapses from within, and that's where the chaos begins. Hmm. And uh, yeah, Jordan Pearson too. That's that's where the chaos came from. <laughs> I oh, win. Okay. There you go. There you go. Ultimately, that's where it came from. Yes. I win my bet. Well, that's because you read my press release, right? Yes, I did actually. Okay. So you cheated. Uh, well, you didn't say in your press release that the name came directly from Jordan Pearson. At least I don't remember. But again, as I may have mentioned, my memory is failing. And I'd remember whether or not I'd mentioned that if my memory wasn't failing. See how quickly that came back? Man, that was like five, six minutes before that paid off. Man, this is why people tune in. <laughs> now, um, let's, uh, let's take a step back for a second. Um, what is it about your book? that audiences will find that your audience, because there are lots of people who like lots of different things. And the big, the big goal, the big job, the big problem for authors is to write a book that's the best book they can make right now and to move on to the next one. But the second big problem of authors is to find the audience that will enjoy your stuff. Either a pre-made audience out there that's already ready to read zombie novels or whatever, um, or assemble an audience who will like your book by brute force. Um, so if you are speaking to those people, to the people that would most enjoy your book, as far as you know right now, what is it about your book that they would find most enjoyable? Okay, this is not a pulp book, and I know you, you a lot of times talk about the pulp revolution, although it does have certain elements of that. Um, it does have lots of action and humor and fun and uh, good versus evil, all that stuff. But it, it, it has a political bent, and I, I think of it as a kind of a red-pilled, more conservative, I, uh, idealistically. That's kind of the the frame behind that that I wrote this and is is there enough do you think there's enough uh, like libertarian fiction out there or do you think maybe we could use a little bit more you think <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I know there you know that like the Prometheus Awards which I found out by listening to you guys I mean I know that there are there is some but I think that there definitely could there needs to be more of a scene and I I'm very happy and proud to be part of that underground scene well they've, they've got their own little uh, awards don't they for for libertarian fiction Right, right. The Prometheus Wars. Yes, there, there's some, but like a lot of the books that, um, and I don't want to single anyone out, but a lot of the books are seem kind of like, uh, I don't know how really pure, <laughs> purely libertarian they are, you know? So, I mean. You, and you, you said that uh, you're, you're influenced by Jordan Peterson. How does that? Yes. How, so what, what, well, you know, why don't you give me a little bit of an idea of, of where that influence is and, and sort of what the gist of the story is? Well, I mean, he, okay, so I, I was listening to his lectures on the Bible and um, Genesis, the Garden of Eden, see, Garden of Chaos, get it, get it. But it's just like, I just thought of like, what is the college campus with, uh, you know, with all this Antifa and all this, uh, the, the centering of speech this um the humanities how they're excluding um more conservative voices and uh what if you know we think of like the postmodern campus is force feeding people instead of like uh back in the garden of eden days you know the you the 
even Adam ate the fruit of knowledge, what if now we're being force fed the fruit of ignorance? And that's where the idea came from. And so um, he that he taught he you know some of his quotes about how college is an extended adolescence with no quality control about how um, safe spaces are detrimental, perhaps in the short term. I'm sorry, I mean, they're beneficial in the in the short term, but in the long term, they can be detrimental. So there is a lot of uh, anti-SJW rhetoric. I'm sorry, there's a lot of pro-SJW <laughs> rhetoric in my book, but it's a way to kind of uh, criticize, and, and it's a satire of, the, of much of the movement. Sure. Right, and uh, I know... Uh, talking about politics is against the rules, so maybe I. Well, I mean, <laughs> oh, okay. Let, let, let me let me expand on the geek gab no politics okay. rule. It simply means that we're not going to have a show where we talk about current events, policy, and things like that. We're right. not going to have a pro-Trump show. We're not going to have a a show about how how can the Democrats take the House of Representatives this year? No, but. Talking about your book is perfectly on topic, and I thought that was really interesting. Let me let me make sure I understand what you're saying. Sure. I, I want to restate the idea of the Garden of, of Chaos is the modern university is where uh, people learn, I guess, the opposite of knowledge. They they learn they learn lies and and falsehoods instead of truth and wisdom. Right, that's correct. It's it's the the whole post postmodernist. Uh, there is no, you know, the, the throw, trying to throw out the old traditional cultural um, notions of morality, that kind of thing. Um, but a lot of the uh, the the voices that I have in the in the book comes from there are like little press clippings that are written by the university press in the book and they are very um it's almost like just listening to just cnn or or uh just clips on the internet it's it's just really easy to write this uh this kind of edge stage sjw politically correct speech and just the way that my protagonist gage alabaster is his name he becomes um somewhat of a uh i don't want to use the word victim <laughs> but he becomes somewhat of as a tool that they use because i think every you know every cultural movement needs its heroes and its villains and he's turned into a villain unwillingly and unfairly so i think so that's much of the struggle in the book so uh what genre uh would you put it in specifically besides like libertarian fiction a uh, disto it's it's dystopian um I, I would say just because it's kind of and it, it's it's like it it takes place in an alternate universe at an alternate at a, a university Madian state which doesn't really exist and a town that doesn't exist in a city in a country in a world that doesn't exist but um that way i can throw in any aspect i want and i so I, a lot of ways in this alternate universe i kept the aesthetics that I really enjoy. I, I enjoy uh, brutalistic architecture, which is college campuses. A lot of times that goes hand in hand. I enjoy uh, the uh, 1980s music and the uh, the video games, classic gaming. Um, I don't like cell phones. I don't really care much for social media, which I know a lot of ways of, as an author these days, especially a self-published one, you have to be savvy in it. And so I do what I have to do. But um, so a lot, so I, I took that that aspect of it out. So the um, so but as as far as a dystopian, and I think you know a lot of it's it's uh, I think every, some of the greatest works of dystopian fiction are kind of like slippery slopes. Uh, and I know that's a logical fallacy, but it's just the idea of what happens if the current trends of today keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And then this alternate universe that I've created, uh, things have gotten pretty bad. Okay, that, that's pretty interesting. Now, I guess I get your, I guess I get the philosophy and, and the themes that you want to express, but the plot. And, and, yeah, I'm. I'm going to be harsh here. Like, no, it's cool. Is is this going to be one of those one of the big criticisms of of the famous 
works of Ayn Rand is that they're, you know, she's a better philosopher than a writer. It's, it's dry, sort of dull and that sort of thing. So do you have an interesting story to go along with this very interesting setting in philosophy? I'm glad you asked, actually. The one thing that actually the one feedback that I get the most from my readers, my early readers, is that they really like the characters. And that's actually how when I started when back when I was thinking of the Streets of Rage type, I just I created these characters that I thought were very interesting. People I like to hang out with um, people sometimes modeled after certain characters. Oh, for example, one of them, his name is uh Shade, that's his code name. He's modeled after the G.I. Joe character Snake Eyes. I have a, a clown, a lawyer who's a clown. Um, and he's like a trickster that kind of is it's a good way for me to parody the judicial system, I guess, is to have a clown attorney. Um, I have a strong man who's somewhat like a benevolent, um, a benevolent American male from the 19th century who's uh he's he's somewhat of a Conan type, but he he's finds himself on the on the university campus and, and therefore it's the fish out of water vibe I have, you know, going on with him. And just yeah, so and I think what when I wrote this book, I knew where I, I wanted to begin and I knew where I wanted to end. But for all everything that happened in between, I let the characters take over. So and I think that that's a lot what a lot of uh the issues we have in in today's fiction is that you don't really have unique, compelling characters that you care about. It's just stuff happening. And it's kind of like, um, you know, I, I think that was one of the main point behind the red letter media's uh, critique of the uh, star Wars prequels is that uh, stuff is going on. Things are blowing up. You see all the special effects and I do have action in my book, but it's kind of like you need to have characters that you care about in order to make the action meaningful. It's kind of like, I don't watch sporting events from other countries because I don't know the players. I don't know the teams. I have no emotional connection with them. But my home team, heck, I have an emotional connection with that team. So I'm going to follow them all the way. And and the, the incredible things they do on the field, I can find that inspiring or I can enjoy that. So if that's the analogy I can draw. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the, as for the plot, it's just about uh gage he um a lot of ways i see him as the way who i was back when i went to college 20 years ago is that i was somebody who went to college because i was supposed to and i was told actually i was told that i had to go i didn't know what i wanted to major in i didn't know what i wanted to do with my life i had nothing i mean i was attracted to girls that was about it <laughs> that was my only interest really and that i needed something to find something to grasp onto some meaning to push me forward and I think that that's a lot of what Jordan Peterson as well, what the message is behind his book and why he's caught on is because I think a lot of especially uh, young males, but, you know, uh, girls, too, who are find themselves in college because they feel like they have to go. Maybe they're majoring in humanities, but they don't know where it's going to lead to and they don't know what they want to do with their life. And so there's a coming of age aspect as well. Okay. Um, when we were talking in the email before, you know, while we were setting up the show of the last week and a bit, um, it, I got the impression that you had listened to at least part of last week's episode. Uh, and because you were talking about contrasting um, what the uh, advice we had talked about with Mr. Walker, which is that so many people put in uh, whiny, ineffectual, useless uh, protagonists, and we're getting kind of tired of it. And but you wanted to present uh, an alternative to that, to uh, to show why that can actually work for your for a book. Um, and now's your chance. Go. Okay. Well, I think one example he brought up was like the beta or, or gamma or whatever the term is, in anime characters. I'm thinking of like Tenchi Muyo, um, who are just yeah these these whiny guys. And like in a lot of ways, I identify with that because that's why I saw myself when I was younger. And I was kind of a, a whiny, effeminate uh, man who had really no power of my own. I, I wasn't born with superpowers or anything like that. They had I had to acquire them. And a lot of ways, I think that's like what the coming of age tale is, is that Gage, he has nothing going for him. In fact, he has a lot of things going against him. But he makes one crucial decision about halfway through the book. And that is where he gets his power from. That is where he makes his change. And that's where he takes his stand. That is so, and that is how he gets his meaning. Is he finds out that he is forced into a situation, and he he can either go along with the system or he can say no and rebel. And so that at least 
he has his will and he has a will because he's he's been used by the institution for a purpose and he he himself can choose to go against that and i think that's a very inspirational story and so i think a lot of ways it's not about how the characters begin it's i mean sorry i I think it's like it's not really necessarily that the characters begin with this great strength and power, but we like to see them develop the great strength and power as they go along the way. That's why, you know, 80s movies have uh, training montages and we enjoy watching those. So I hope that answers your question there. I don't know that I actually got around to asking a question. But... Okay. <laughs> All right. But yeah, so I just, um, so I, I maybe I'm still, I read the summaries of what the pulp revolution is and there is a place for that. I absolutely agree. In fact, I want to escape from what's in the current culture, the culture war. It's very, it can beat you down and it's just the, in a way there's a humor of reading like people's absurd responses on social media, the stupid things that people say and think, you know, you can laugh at like, Oh my God, I, you know, I, I can't, what, what are people thinking these days? People are going crazy. People are losing their mind, but in a lot of ways you want to escape that and you want to go back to the old traditional stories. And I, there is absolutely a place for that, but there's also, I think a place for my book and that, you know, every movement needs to have its its bomb throwers, I guess, not literally, but I'm saying that every movement needs to have a counter voice. And I like to think that, you know, if there's, I don't, if hopefully there's a, can we call it Peter's punk? <laughs> Jordan, Peter, <laughs> Peter punk, <laughs> it's step steampunk or cyberpunk, Peter's punk movement of, of sci-fi literature that um, can kind of, uh, fight back against a lot of the uh, the the politically correct SJW literature that we see dominating these days. Well, uh, here's here's a theme that has come up uh, again and again on the show when we talked about the um, stupid puppies, I mean sad puppies and the and the pulp revolution and everything like that. Uh, having having a message is good. Having having a pure message, an intelligent message, is good. But the problem with boring message fic isn't the message; it's the boring. And actually, so, I disagree with that. I mean, I'm, that's nice. It's a great slogan, and there's a lot of people who really—that's the way they feel. For me, the problem with message fic isn't just the boring; it is also the message. I hate. Even if it's an interesting book, I hate feeling like I'm being lectured to, even when I agree with the position being espoused. Um, and so for me, the problem really is message. If you've got a message in a book, it really aggravates me. I don't really like it in in books. So I don't know. That's well, I mean, all I had to say on that. I don't, you don't, I don't need to argue about it anymore, but yeah. Well, my, well, my point in this context is that as long as you've got a good story going, your message is going to get across. I think so. And if you if you yourself hold certain beliefs and views, and a lot of that's going to get across as well. I I think though, let's face it. I mean, millions of people have read Atlas Shrugged and thought this is very profound and probably millions and millions more I've read and thought this is very boring. I mean, my, I think the heavy handed message fiction is not for everybody, but there is a market out there for it. And I think there maybe even is a purpose for it. And a lot of my messages, the speeches, the, the, there are monologues that, but actually I put the monologues in the mouths of the villains, the antagonists, so at least I guess we can, it, in a way, I, maybe it is like the James Bond villain thing where <laughs> they always talk about their grand scheme right before they <laughs> send him off to his, uh, they tie him up and put him in a, yeah, a, a tank of laser sharks or whatever. Yeah, maybe maybe it is kind of like that. But I, I, you know, I still think I find that well, interesting. I, I think sometimes it is profound and interesting to know what the whole scheme is behind everything. I think it's a sign of how degenerate Western culture has gotten that we don't actually have laser sharks yet. Oh, we could use something like that. <laughs> we need some proper villains. I mean, the villains these days uh, range from, you know, self-immolating terrorists to 
nefarious media organizations pushing a narrative. I mean, we need some proper villains. Where's our laser beams and our <laughs> volcano layers and everything? Or, or those guys. Dude, I tweeted up that pic that somebody posted and got passed around of like the seven guys who are all doing the, you know, um, feminism power fist gesture. Oh, God. I saw that today. <laughs> I was just like, my, my comment was, if I had a good sneeze, like I was... <laughs> really, really had gotten a face full of pollen and I just sneezed, I could blow all those guys away. They'd go tumbling off into the forest they're posing in front of. It just, oh, yeah. Those, I mean, but the point is like, yeah, those are the villains. Those are the ones either like dressing up in Antifa costumes or spreading around the lies that get people to dress up into Antifa costumes. And it's pathetic. My antagonist, I don't want to give away too much, but I, I think of him as somewhat a sympathetic villain. And I know that, again, this probably goes against the pulp. Um, ethos. Ethos. That's the word. I was about to say aesthetic, but that's makes Okay. Yeah, the pulp ethos is that, you know, your villains to be all megalomaniacal, psychopathic villains. Mine has good intentions, but I think that's another message behind my book. Um, and I think that's a message probably behind society is that a lot of societies that good intentions ultimately don't matter. That it's really because the, you know, the road to hell is paid with good intentions is that's, that's a common saying too. So I, I think that that makes him, you know, I think that gives something for readers to think about is that, you know, you can judge somebody as a good person and yet not like the things that they are doing the things that they're saying um, or the the scenarios that they're perpetrating the, or whatever. So I guess you know what I mean. I think I do. Okay. And All sorry, right. no, no laser sharks, no laser sharks. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, in my book, I have, I have lots of ninjas, and I, you know, I was going to say because yeah. laser sharks. I think you missed an, an opportunity here because you said that you love the the eighties stuff, and, right? And, yeah, yeah. I think you missed out on on some. All right. So speaking of of current culture, weird culture cultural trends. I'm going to go way off the reservation here. What do you make of the whole? Um, newfound love of synthwave and and the and vaporwave and all these new sort of youtube centric types of music oh yeah and i think there's even uh, J uh jordan peterson wave too jbp wave <laughs> i saw <laughs> you I, know so if simpsons wave wasn't enough um, i listened to a little bit of the new retro wave youtube channel yeah uh, I, and i picked up a couple of albums and some singles from it so i actually bought based on it yeah and actually i have a, a podcast myself um and it has nothing to do with uh very little to do with politics or literature it's uh it's all about 80s pop music and uh that's 80 of the 80s.com if, if anyone wants to check it out but um no i i do follow that and i like a i like a lot of it a lot of it though i think is a bit kind of ambient and background music and i like stuff that has more of a melody um, maybe stuff that's more chip tuney, I guess, sounds like old NES soundtracks as far as instrumentals. But I'm also surprised as how few of it actually has lyrics and, and words to it. I don't know if there's a lack of decent singers who want to contribute to this, this um, subgenre. But I, 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 I would like to hear more uh, like melodic songs with words. And I would also like more analog synths because a lot of it is emulating like the digital sense that we that maybe formed the horror soundtracks in the later half of the decade. But I, I really I like the, the analog sound that you know, the craft work and yellow magic orchestra and uh, early Depeche Mode soft cell and all groups like that. I will say this about the new retro wave stuff. And that's a channel. That's not a, like a genre. Uh, it's just a channel. Um, that is wave. very, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think Synthwave is the name of the the official name. If there yeah. any, whoever um, coined it, but the uh, I have noticed this is. I think this may be a big criticism, but it may be a bigger criticism. I think people will take it as a bitter, bigger criticism than it actually is. A lot of their stuff, a lot of the songs that they showcase on the channel, 
because the channel doesn't make music. It selects music or gets music sent to them that they then publicize, that they play or put online on YouTube for you to play. I think a lot of it is sometimes indistinguishable and samey. I agree. I absolutely agree. And uh, I, yeah, I do wish there was more variety. I wish there was more um, the on the uh, new retro wave channel, there was one that was dedicated to like funk, like a, more of a electro funk music. And I really wish that was a kind of a subgenre that happened in the early eighties that never, that kind of went away because it later became house music. I, 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 I would really like to hear more of that. I would like to hear more um, maybe industrial, but like melodic industrial music. And that's kind of, that is a subgenre that I, I don't know why I never took off because, you know, uh, people like a lot of the heavy metal fans and a lot of the uh, synthwave fans overlap. And you would think there would be more synthwave tunes that would sound more like heavy metal, like with, with all, entirely with synthesizers and not so much of just lots of ambient noise. Um, yeah. A lot of that funk from the early 80s. Uh, there was some developing new funk, I guess, that uh, funk got wiped out when rap kind of hit big. Sad. Um, yeah, sad. Look, I'm, nothing against rap. I, I love old school rap, but um, it's there was that there was like, again, less me melodies, more it was more lyrical and there was less of emphasis on instruments and performing instruments and so that's that's why i think that there's like a whole generation of hip of of funk that could have turned into maybe a more a musical hip-hop and not like the hip-hop that kind of dominated the 90s and 2000s and so on and so forth so that's just my opinion though that's just what i i like one of, one of our audience members that's in the chat right now um is uh a record producer uh or uh, he had a band um, and was selling records at one time. Uh, and so he has, uh, I, I have no doubt, but that, and he also makes Cursola, the Cursola magazine. So I have no doubt, but that he has uh, opinions about the musical uh, stuff we've expressed. And I, and I should say this, just to get it out there, I love a wide variety of music, but I tend to pick one or two bands in each genre rather than diving into a genre wholesale. And and I am not by any means a musical historian. I'm not schooled in producing music. I don't know what um, technical details are and stuff. And I'm just as happy to not learn at this point in my life. Uh, but I do love a lot of music and I listen to a wide variety of music across uh, a wide range of time. Um, but so it's just, it's the opinion of a big fan of music who isn't educated in uh the industry or in uh specific history like i i know about the velvet underground i've never listened to their album i've heard the saying that you know only ten thousand people bought the first velvet underground album but all of them went out and formed a band i could not tell you which bands came from that particular music uh background who were inspired by the velvet underground to go start their own garage bands and which ones became successful and which ones were unfairly overlooked no idea but i do know something a little bit a tiny little bit and i'm smart enough to know what i don't know i had hopes for the internet did you have great <laughs> did you hope things would turn out better but I, I i was i had hopes about the way that art would it would help the independent artist not only in literature, but in music and also movies, it is easier to make and distribute with technology, easier and cheaper to ma make and distribute your material. Yet there are no, like the major corporations don't want to put forth their effort and money to market it. And um, instead of like making a $50,000 emoji movie, why couldn't they not give uh, 50 directors a million dollars like each and then, and then see what comes out of it. And it, it's just like, and yeah, that stuff is out there, but you really have to dig really deep and you have to wade through so much crap. And I just miss, and, and I miss the days when the mediums didn't seem so disposable. And people, so go ahead. 
people thought that the internet was going to be like Usenet. And I have to explain that to people because a lot of you listening to the show might not know what Usenet was. It was a communications protocol before the World Wide Web was invented. Um, and you had a number of what they called news groups, which were discussion groups around a specific topic. So you would have like alt.roleplayinggames.dnd. And that would be for people posting about D&D. And then you could, you know, extrapolate from there to everything under the sun. The virtues of Usenet were that it was a distributed system so that no one site controlled or could censor Usenet. It was all across the internet. Every ISP offered at least a subset of those news groups. And so it was anarchic and it was impossible to censor. And we thought, or people thought, that that was going to be the future of the Internet. In point of fact, the Internet has gone exactly the opposite direction. The Internet is even more limited than the real world. Because, and what, it, because of network effects, which is to say the notion that the value of a site is the number of people using it squared. So if you just have one person posting on a site, it has a value of one to receive and communicate information. If you have a, two people, it has a value of four. If you have 10 people, it has a value of 100. If you have 100 people, and so on and so forth. You see where I'm going. So Facebook has 2 billion people on it. At one point, it had. And all of that information exchange, no matter what you're using it for, is going through one central authority. And not getting into any of the legal legalities of things, not getting into any proposing solutions or whatever. My point is that we thought the future of the internet was distributed communication that would route around censorship, that would interpret censorship as damage and route around it. When, in fact, what has happened is that the Internet has become even more centralized, even more controlled by one organization. I mean, even in the world, if you don't like a country, it's at least conceivable that you can uh, emigrate to another country. But if you don't like Facebook, there is no replacement to Facebook. There are alternatives, none of whom have the same size of network, none of whom have the same network effects. And so the Internet has become subject to a very small number of authorities who have a very outsized influence over what gets said or what gets spread. Now, a lot of people who I know are very excited about indie book publishing because anybody can throw up books on Amazon, which is great. But the worry, which I have expressed several times on the show, is that at some point, Amazon can instantly, in a day, less than a day, turn around and begin exerting influence over the content exactly the way Facebook and Twitter are. And so we thought that the internet was going to be wild and free forever. But network effects and the influence of a huge population of people who are steered to where everybody else is means that the internet has become more censorious, more controlling. It, it is like the world, instead of having 150, 180 countries, all of a sudden was subject to 10 countries. And they got to say what everything was. Um, and yes, you can go out and establish your own site. But until you get 2 billion people on your site, you're not going to have the same network effects. You simply are not going to be able to provide the same value as Facebook will. And so it's really, really difficult, if not impossible, to compete. I, I'm Again, I'm not proposing any solutions. I'm not endorsing any solutions. I just uh, 
you were talking about how we thought the internet was going to go one way and it went someplace else. And I think that the internet has gone in a really dark direction and uh, to a certain extent, and it could go uh, much, much worse. And people need to be aware of that and prepare for that. Uh, it, it's just like I said in a conversation about the current censorship problems, um, the whole Alex Jones controversy. I said, well, this isn't the cyberpunk dystopia we were promised, but sure is the one we deserve. So, right. yeah, and I think oh, I think one it it killed off the grassroots, and the grassroots were created because of regional limitations. If I could use a music analogy, you used to have local bands that you would go see, you used to have local record stores, local labels, scenes. The pro um, problem was is that that um it, and it was because you you had you, you could only consume what you were close to you didn't have you could um but now everybody in the world is going to the very same place and it kills off all these laboratories the, that were of local you know were places where people can locally experiment where artists could experiment i mean heck i mean you go back to the old medieval days you would have like you know little collectives of minstrels or whatever and you know every every village had to have their own minstrels and now it's there's only one minstrel for millions of people. I guess if I can use that analogy there. So. And so it's sad because we're we're losing. I guess a lot of that it it kills off the uniqueness. And the uniqueness is there. You just really have to dig deep for it. And who has the time for that? You know, who has the time to find some obscure go to some obscure web page that only one person's clicked on? Um. Does this at all is this at all uh reflected in your book um i think we just gave Clay an idea for his next book <laughs> no maybe so and actually uh my next book is definitely going to be less political because i think a lot of this has worn me out <laughs> and i i do feel the need to escape from a lot of it um but as, as the Again, it's it's kind of in a, in a formulative stage, and I, I do want to do a sequel. My readers have been looking forward to a sequel, so um, but hopefully, yeah, it, it will be less. Um, but as as far as the, um, you know, I, I I'm I can't really think of of, of an analogy about how of uh, the the way because again, my it takes some place in alternate universe before the internet. Now, granted the internet is introduced in my book and there is there's kind of a primitive version of the internet that is used in a, in a way it's a culture on, uh, it's a commentary on the internet because the internet is used to uh to distribute this uh fruit of ignorance i could say so in a way it is kind of it does have that aspect of it but it's in, it's it's not like the internet we know today this is more of like the old monochrome uh bulletin board systems that it, that existed back in the 80s so And also, I just want to say, I don't want to bite the hand that feeds. I mean, like, what are we talking on right now? Yeah, there's some good stuff. We're, we're using the popular mass available Google TM Hangouts on, on YouTube. Um, well, I, uh, unfortunately, we did get to a little bit of a late start, but we are running up against uh, our time limit here. Um, so is there another topic we want to explore or should I call for like final opinions? I am open to anything except for, like I said, I don't, I don't really do uh tabletop RPGs. I do tabletop games. So anything but that I'm, I'm open to. So I, and I was, I was well, legitimately, I mean, I'll listen to it. I don't have to contribute. So I was legitimately no fooling. Somebody just dropped a comment in the uh, chat about, uh, wanting to know where their data jack and cyberdeck was. So I was legitimately going to ask you what you thought of the new shattering uh, stuff so, as a joke. But yeah, that was actually going to be the next question I had. Uh, but you're not into tabletop. We already know that. Okay. Off off, uh, off the table. Uh, do you have any any last sales pitch? You give, it, give, your, uh, give our audience your best sales pitch for your book before we go. The Guard of Chaos, it's it's a very unique book, uh, and it's it's hard to fit into a lot of different genres, and it's definitely not for everybody, but I don't believe in a one-size-fits-all literature. 
It's a, a coming of age story about a, a, a boy at a college campus who uh, goes through a lot of series of trials. If I goes meets lots of interesting, colorful characters, has adventures. And just in the first chapter alone, he's attacked by a gang of ninjas. And so that you know that right there will show you that. Every, and one thing I've I've the, a lot of the feedback I've said is people really appreciate the dialogue because I don't really mess around with detail. The details that I do give are mostly due to symbolism that kind of points towards a bigger picture, but it's, it's lots of dialogue and interesting characters and humor. And uh, so that's, so I, I think it's only 99 cents on Amazon for Kindle. The uh, print version is $9. I kept it as least expensive as possible for the moment because I am very confident that the book is going to do well through word of mouth. And I do think that our, there is an audience for, um, let's say, red-pilled sci-fi dystopian literature. There is some of it out there, but not enough. And um, I'm hopefully this will can maybe start a scene. Oh, I'm getting your, are you buzzing me right there? Is my time up? <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's the phone. That's my phone alarm that goes off at 1.01 okay. on every day. That's why I usually turn my phone off. Apparently, I did not do that. Um, also, yeah, it was it was your your buzzer. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> do uh, do you have any final words before we go? Uh, actually, uh, it was it was fun to chat. I'd love to love to talk uh, more about music. I'm gonna go listen to some synthwave and stuff right now. I'm interested in your book. Um. I'm rambling now. I'm good. It's yeah. been a fun show. Thanks for coming on. And then if I could also add, as for the music aspect, uh, again, my it's 80ofthe80s.com. That's the podcast that I do with my wife. And uh, we've had received recently a, hundred, a total of 150,000 downloads. So um, there definitely uh, is an audience that wants to hear about great 80s synth pop music. So uh, not just synth pop, but post punk, new wave, um, just um, some, all you know the hits and the bands that made the hits, but also some of the um, forgotten, hidden gems out there that you should you should probably know about. Awesome! Thanks uh, for letting me do that sales pitch there. <laughs> just to let people know there is already a link to uh, eighty of the eighties in the description of the video right now. You can. Uh, and, I, and I'm not talking to you people in the future who are listening to this later on, uh, you know, podcasts or on YouTube. It's, it's actually, for those of you live in the audience right now, there's a link to 80 of the 80s. There's also a link to Garden of Chaos um, uh, where you can buy that on Amazon. So uh, thanks for coming on the show, uh, Clay. We yeah, are... thanks for having me. Yeah. And thanks for teaching me about Google Hangouts. Um, yeah, good luck. It's... <laughs> I don't want to talk about Google Hangouts right now, but good luck. Okay. Um, <laughs> thanks, everybody, for tuning in live. Thanks to everybody who's listening to the show later. Um, go ahead and click, you know, like and subscribe, and be sure to click on the bell icon to double secret subscribe to actually get announcements about when the show is going live so you can come in and participate in the chat with our unusually intelligent and highly motivated audience. We are available on youtube.com slash geekgab, or you can get us on the iTunes Music Store, on soundcloud.com, or on the Google Play Store. Just do a search for geekgab. That's the show for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We are leaving you for now, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.